Hello everybody, this is Brian Janikowski, Thursday, February the 28th, last day of the month. I'm Christian Thwaites. I'm Emily Takenberts, and let's get started with this week's market chat. So Christian, today we got GDP growth numbers for the fourth quarter of 2018. Came in right around 2.6%, and this, as expected, was lower than third quarter um, and, and the rest of the year. Uh, do you see this kind of leveling off at this level, or do you see it declining even further going into 2019? Um, I think it's going to decline a little bit further for the first quarter, and that is because since since the so Great Recession of 2009, there's been some rather strange first quarter GDP prints, and they've tended to be much lower than people think uh, or expect them to be. Um, and in fact, I think a few years ago we were, you know, close to zero in one. It might even be negative. Now they don't stay around for very long. But what's happening, I think, is that the full seasonalities have not been adjusted. So um, I think for the current quarter, we're looking at maybe you know one, one and a half. You know, we'll get a better feel. Um, but but that's kind of there's a seasonality part of that which we shouldn't be concerned about. The two point six percent in the fourth quarter was. You know, as expected, as you and I have discussed here, and we've discussed with clients, we've written about it. Um, you know, it's it's not a particularly original view. As a lot of people saw this coming, uh, that the tax cuts came in in the first quarter. Uh, there was a lot of good expectations about them. There was a lot of purchases brought forward, so we saw that gangbuster four percent plus print for GDP in the third in the second quarter. We knew it wasn't sustainable into the third quarter. It was like three. And so now the fourth quarter has come out, you know, even less than that. And I think what's what's held it back is a little bit the fact that it was brought forward. So activity that would have happened in the fourth quarter was brought forward to the to the second and the third quarter. Uh, and also we saw the uh, trade deficit widen, which we've talked about, you know, for a while. I mean, this has widened out a lot. We had a record goods trade deficit in December, $75 billion. That's just on goods alone doesn't include services which which would make it a little bit better but you know, the trade deficit is going the wrong way and that's a net drag on gdp and then the other one was that there seems to have been an inventory build up which would be net positive for um for the fourth quarter but retail sales were low so those inventories will probably get unwound in the first quarter but as we've talked about it you know i i think generally the growth capacity of the us is somewhere between 2 to 3% and usually on the lower side of that it you know combination of productivity gains not being particularly good uh labor participation being stuck in the sort of low 60s down from you know 6 or 7 points from what it was a decade or so ago uh slower growth of population um you know all these suggest that between about two to three percent is what we should get used to, and I think this is just coming back back to trend. So, to your point, uh, you know, before the tax cuts of 2018, we talked a lot about in the blog as well as this podcast of a two percent world. Two yeah. percent referring to two percent growth generally, and also two percent inflation. Do you see that kind of long term trend continuing? Yes. Um, now that much. we've we've moved past the tax cuts, I, I I think so. I mean, it would take a lot to break through that. You'd have to have um, you know more more wage increases. You'd have to have uh, you know more pressure points on inflation, um, and you would have to do I think something more than just the uh, you know the lowering the unemployment rate. It would have to be a, a higher participation rate or uh, more hours. 
worked or, uh, you know, getting the getting the U6 unemployment, which, you know, is nearly 8%. That hasn't fallen nearly as much as the regular unemployment number. That's That includes people working uh, part-time for uh, financial reasons. In other words, people who are working part-time, they would like to work full-time. Mm-hmm. So all those things would have to sort of, you know, reset or, or improve to, you know, to get way beyond the 2%, 2% world. So you see this slowing as not a, you know, a... a a sign of an impending um, recession, but just kind of a reversion to the long-term mean. Yeah, I, I think recession talk is uh, is is overdone at this point, and because there's lots of coincident indicators which would tell you where we're going on the recession, and you know there's about ten of them which matter that the the guys who follow the recession, the NBER, look at. Uh, but the big one, I think, in the short term is to look at claims. They're not moving very much. Unemployment claims come out every Thursday. That's a really good indicator because, you know, if you're out of work, you go down and sign on. And, uh, you know, so you see those numbers straight away. Uh, retail sales, confidence, level of the stock market, you know, wholesale inventory, a bunch of different things. But none of them are, none of them are particularly flashing red. Slowing, but, but, but not sort of into the recession territory. So Berkshire came out with their annual shareholders letter this weekend. Um, can you just give us a rundown of some of the most important points uh, and information that, that came out in it? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that um, Berkshire has uh, typically talked a lot about its increase in its book value and uh, <clears throat> compared the increase in its book value. So roughly that's its you know entire um, uh, assets minus its liabilities and and sort of less with your net equity position, and uh, and 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 compare that to the S and P. That's always been a very good number that that, that, that Berkshire has achieved. Um, but an accounting change really makes it time, as as Warren Buffett said, to retire this number. And what's happened is that the mark to market on on companies where they're not permanent owners, in other words, they're, they're basically just shareholders. This is Apple, Coca Cola. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, a bunch of airlines, and so on. You know, uh, typically they used to be able to hold them pretty much at, um, at 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 market value and not have to make adjustments. You know, every quarter they now have to do that. So there's big swings going on in their earnings because they have to take it through the uh, through the P&L. So if Apple was down twenty percent last year, which it was between the between the second quarter and the third quarter, that loss on the forty billion that uh, the Berkshire owns, so it went from 40 to 30, has to be run through the, the P&L, the income statement, which is kind of stupid, but but that's that's how a mutual fund works, and so they're kind of giving them the same treatment. So I think he's going to be retiring that and looking more on the you know underlying growth of the businesses, which I think are more important. Uh, I mean, the, you know, the Geico, the big reinsurance, uh, Burlington Northern, several reinsurance businesses, actually, you know, precision cast parts. These are really good businesses. And the underlying growth of those was 30% last year, way more than the S&P. So I think what we're looking at is looking at Berkshire as a sort of industrial conglomerate uh, with a with a kind of a stock picking expertise on the side, as opposed to the other, what I think it had been, is thought of as a great stock picking uh, engine with some wholly owned subsidiaries on the side. So uh, that kind of makes it more interesting, I think. And um uh, so it's just a change in the way that I think people are going to be looking at Berkshire, but I think it's all net positive. It does mean, by the way, that the P&L is extremely volatile. 
Uh, and that was his point. It's like it's going to have some crazy numbers which don't really reflect the underlying health of the business. So, you know, the stock will go down. It'll look like the company's in a net loss. Well, it's not. It's just a, it's just an accounting entrance. Uh, so I think, and and Berkshire's extremely conservatively managed. I mean, one of the things that's interesting in their um, annual report is that Geico, which everybody knows, the, their cost position on Geico, they bought it in two tranches, but they finished the uh, but they they finished the transaction in 1995. Is two billion dollars. It's a company which makes I think about 15 billion dollars pre-tax. So if it was ever floated on the stock market, you know, as a, as, a, as its own entity, probably worth I mean, 10, 15 times that, you know, so conservatively, 160, 170 billion dollars. <laughs> That's not reflected in a lot of the, you know, Berkshire uh, share price, I think. So anyway, it's a, it's, it's a good stock and we like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, did Buffett talk at all about his outlook on the markets? He very rarely does, I think, because he he just kind of looks at the at the kind of you know core businesses and doesn't really make 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 calls on the S and P. He did make a sort of a comment about the deficit and basically said not to worry about it, which is which is fine advice, I think, in the short term. I think eventually you've got to worry about it, but that's another maybe another topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, turning to trade, uh, you know, we did see we had a significant uh, event. This past weekend, where uh, Trump had said that he would postpone uh, the increase in tariffs, that deadline was March first. Um, you know, Trump seems as if he's getting a little bit weary of this this kind of uh, this drawn out trade war. Um, is do you think that a deal is coming um, pretty soon in this respect? I think something is coming, and um, I think the reason he postponed it is that they'd like to get something, even if it's fairly simple, done. And it might be one of those where it's relatively small changes, um, but you can declare a big victory. We're never going to get to a zero trade balance with China. I mean, it would be, you know, we, we would literally have to stop buying Samsung Galaxies and Apple iPhones and, and, the, and, the, uh, and the Chinese would have to buy a lot more food and all of their aircraft and all of their cars, <laughs> which they don't need to do uh, from the U.S. So it, it, it'll never get, you know, to the zero level, which, he, you know, they've declared at times that they want. But I think it can get it can get better and it can address some of these underlying issues of intellectual property and technology transfer, which have usually been stacked in favor of the Chinese. So if we get that, I think the, uh, the market will be pleased with that. I kind of think it's priced in, though. I, I, I really think that... If there was um, a kind of a, one of these not so great, but let's just make it sound better uh, deals with China, the market might come back a little bit because I think it's expecting some sort of some sort of solution on this. But there, there'll be something, um, and as long as they're talking, hey, that's always better than you know walking away from the table. So I think generally these talks are probably going as well from a stock market perspective as we could expect. That's an interesting point that you make about the fact that you think this is, is already priced in, because a lot of people have said, if we get a deal with China, regardless of what kind of deal it is, just it being a deal, um, that the stock market may um, react pretty kindly to that. Yeah, and I would have said the same thing uh, back in December, but the market's up 15% since then. So, <laughs> you know, and I always remind myself that, you know, we're sitting on a $25 trillion stock market. So that's you know, two and a half trillion dollars worth of stock market wealth 
made you know in less than less than a month mm. or just over a month sorry you know that's that's many many times what the trade uh, account would uh, you know would, would I mean the trade balances you know with China is like negative 500 or something like that so it's already sort of priced that in mm -hmm. so I just you know it tends to be that markets are very good at anticipating and uh, you know buy on the rumors sell on the news might be one of these times when that you know, comes true again, and if there is a trade deficit, then they're not a trade deal, however paltry or however small or you know maybe significant. Um, uh, I think the market would be okay. Well, that's that done. We were less worried about it anyway. What's the next thing to look at? Mm -hmm. So we might get you know a little bit of a correction. Interesting. So if we do get a deal, mm -hmm. and let's say tariffs are removed, you know, is that going to be enough uh, to um, to essentially reverse kind of the slowdown? Uh, that we're seeing in China for their growth? Yeah, that's a good question. I always struggle with China. It's still fairly opaque. <laughs> um, um, I I think it will help, yes, because, I mean, if there is a deal, then I think, uh, you know, some of these big, you know, fabrication production businesses will will have a, you know, a, a better outlook. But it's really the domestic China economy, you know, a, a, excluding its sort of trade partnerships, which need to, you know, turn around. I mean, I saw amazing statistic the other day that you know, the U.S. makes about three million cars in a year, um, and that makes makes a lot more trucks, but but three million cars. Well, the, China makes twenty seven million. Now, I mean, China's a big country, and there's car ownership's a lot less, you know, uh, dispersed than it is um, than it is in the in the U.S. But that's a lot of capacity to you know manufacture cars, and so. There's probably fairly low returns on capital in a business like that, and um, and I wonder whether you know the, the sort of turnaround on the demand will be able to sort of you know turn those businesses from kind of struggling along to being you know super profitable. I don't know. I just uh, I think I think China's sort of um, you know had a had a good bounce so far this year, but it's been it's. It's been a tricky stock market to call, and um, it's still way off its 2007 high. So it might help a little bit. I think you've asked a very good question. I'm not really sure of the answer, but I think that, you know, m m basically would expect fairly low levels of growth, you know, for China for a while, relative to its history, too. Because the slowdown in China has often been pinpointed um, as kind of a source or worry around global growth. If mm. that were to reverse, uh, you know, we don't know that, but if it were to reverse... Are there any other headwinds that you see for global growth besides the China factor? Yeah, I think that Europe is still a big, you know, that that still hasn't been sorted out. I mean, aside from Brexit, which you know could be a could be a real disaster. Uh, you know, Europe even on its own is uh, is having some some struggles. So that's still a that is still a headwind. I think it will get better because Germany, which came close to recession. Uh, at the end of 2018, um, I think we'll start to reverse a little bit. But those are the, yeah, certainly the, the big headwinds are trade talks with Europe, which haven't even started, uh, as well as with China. But generally, general, you know, gl global growth has sort of come, come off the boil quite a bit from, from the highs of the 2017. So lastly, uh, Jay Powell um, was up on Capitol Hill this week uh, testifying in front of the financial, or, or speaking in front of the Financial Services Committee for his annual kind of semi-annual check-in with Congress. Um, can you give us a sense of, of uh, you know, what he communicated? Um, and is it is it consistent with what uh, the Fed has um, now kind of 
had a, a kind of dovish turn um, in their language. Yeah, it is very consistent with what they said in January. But January was a bit of a turnaround from what they were saying, uh, especially back in September. They went ahead with the December uh, Fed funds increase. But January, the language is very much, we're, you know, we're going to be patient. We're going to wait on the data. We know the data is slowing down. And indeed, today's GD preprint showed exactly that. And they, they could see the same indicators everybody else could. Um, and so that they knew things were slowing down. And then they, they did mention uh, Brexit, uh, trade, and the government shutdown as being specific risks, uh, of which only two really have gone away. One has gone away, two still remain. So he reiterated those, and I think um, he, did, he did a great job. I mean, he said, you know, the Fed's going to be patient, we're going to be data dependent. I don't think anyone on those committees is anxious to see the Fed ratchet up rates and bring the economy to a grinding halt. So they're generally sort of on his side. Um, and uh, I, I think for now, Fed policy is is sitting and, sitting and waiting. Now, it could, most people don't, including ourselves, don't think there's going to be any change uh, in Fed funds, at least for the first half. Um, and th and that, it's also partly because monetary policy has a big lag effect. So we, we're, it can take a year or more for a, for a rate increase to sort of filter through to the real economy. So really what we're experiencing now might you know, be the result of actions taken on the Fed funds rate 12 months ago. And I think he knows, he knows that. They all know that. So I think he's going to wait and see what, what happens, you know, with all these key indicators and, uh, and, and, and maybe come back if there's you know, more growth in the third, fourth quarter or just, or maybe this is it for this uh, tightening cycle. But uh, I think for now we can expect the Fed to be pretty patient. They've said that, they've used that word. And uh, there's no data that's come in, I think, which would change their mind. Has the Fed's mandate, maybe not, you know, in uh, actuality, but in uh, philosophically, has the Fed's mandate changed? <laughs> That's a really good question. I mean, the the the, the sort of legal mandate is um, is full employment, which is not defined, and uh, and low inflation, which is also not defined, but which is also which is usually considered to be around two percent. Um, I, I, I don't think their mandate is really off that. I think they, they have, and it's started on the Greenspan, they take a lot of, they, they look at the stock market, I think, as a, as, a, as a signal of sort of underlying growth or uh, concern. And it, it's difficult to escape, you know, the fact that they're, they're very moderate. If there's a correction in the market, they seem to sort of back off hard policies. So... You know, so the more acerbic commentators say, well, they're sort of just putting a put underneath the uh, stock market, and it was actually known as the Greenspan put, as you know. But uh, I, I think they look at the stock market as an important indicator. But I, I don't think, I don't think they really, uh, you know, feel that their mandate, you know, ha has changed. Some of the behaviour might, might uh, argue against that. But uh, no, I think that. The, the, the two principal ones is what they really think about most and talk about most. Well, thank you very much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening. Please join us next week. Thank you very much. And here's the uh, disclosure. Please note this discussion of our investment investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investments and investment strategy that Davis commentary is subject to change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. 
This is for general informational purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell the security. The security is mentioned as commentary only several of successful and successful investments by us do not represent all the securities we have purchased or recommended, although we do deem reliable the sources of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary. We cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data passed forward. There's no indication of future results.